Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola here, helping you take control of your health. And I am recording another interview with two of the celebrities here. Uh, I'm at the uh, Academy for Comprehensive Integrative Medicine in Orlando, Florida. And we're, we're recording this in November of 2018 at their annual convention, and it's just an unbelievable event. I look so forward to coming here because there's absolutely every year I know I'm gonna learn a minimum of one, but maybe half a dozen different important pieces of information that's gonna change my life and hopefully yours. So I certainly did this year. And uh, uh, we have superstars like the people here who are, that you can meet up with and you know so if you're watching this you might want to definitely check your calendar for November of 2019 and it's pretty much every year in November so anyway my guest today are Peter Sullivan who is doesn't have any medical training but he's a I'm really fond of Peter because he really is passionate about uh, electrical EMF electromagnetical electromagnetic fields and then along the same line we have Dr. Martha Herbert, who is a PhD MD, uh, because she got, she got her PhD first, and she's, she was based out of Harvard, or was, and I'll let her tell her story. So they both have massively interesting stories, and I just want to do is ask them a few questions. So we're here with only one camera, normally we have two or three cameras when we do our shoots, so the camera's gonna move a little bit, so don't worry too much about that, because we're, you're here for the information. So. Uh, Peter, why don't we start with you since you're first, you're closest to me, and give us a history of who you are, how you got interested in this, because he, I, I do know that he is a, a he has EMH, or still has it, I guess, to some degree, but maybe, maybe not, I'll let him tell the story, yeah. but that's, that was the primary motivation, but it's just, he's a wealth of knowledge, and I love this man, and he's totally committed to sharing truth and information, so. Uh, I was a software engineer in Silicon Valley, and uh, you know, in the 90s, I was really all about personal technology. That was my passion. Uh, so I studied at Stanford, did all kinds of human-computer interactions, so uh, worked at multiple companies as a troubleshooter in Silicon Valley, uh, an engineer, uh, software designer at the very end. Uh, I worked at Netflix and other, some other companies people would know of, Excite. Uh, and my, I started having some fatigue in the early 2000s mm -hmm. and food allergies and my kids were going through some developmental delays at the time. And so, and I was starting to link them all up and realized that, you know, at that time we started looking at the enzymes and autism and kind of autism symptom things and looking at how to biologically treat those and, uh, and then started looking at toxic metals. So I found out that I was tox, had toxic metal levels of mercury, my kids had some issues as well and so I eventually just took time off from from work in about 2005 I just said it's you know it's ridiculous for me to with all these things going on to be have, you know two people in the family working so I was focusing on my kids health and my health and really had some time and energy to really go deep you know and find out what was really out there and I had a great the doctor Raj Patel, who is like in this family of folks, right, mm -hmm. doing all this comprehensive stuff. An integrated medical doctor. Integrated medical doctor who really, you know, who would talk about candida overgrowth and mercury, you know, and all that stuff. And he really got us on track. Um, and but eventually, so the kids kind of slowly got better. Um, and even after detoxing, I did not. Uh, I kept getting worse, and I got down to 131 pounds. I became electrically sensitive. So mm -hmm. my brain kept telling me all the stuff is safe and well tested and I love technology and my body was not, was reacting like there was something really wrong. I were catching myself just throwing a cell phone away from <coughs> me and feeling cell phones and, and transformers when I plugged them in. And it took me a while even trying to find the resources for EMF and all these things and finally figured out, it was, you know, one of the aspects of electromagnetic fields, dirty electricity, mm -hmm. was a big factor for me in 2009. Once I figured that out and started managing it, I, my weight came back like 10 pounds and about a month or two, and I just started kind of on an upward spiral. And I continue to improve my electrical environment. It's been, I don't know how many, eight years since I've, eight, 10 years since I've been doing stuff. And there's just, it's a constant process. And 
and uh, and we're just trying to share the information, uh, make the field credible because mm -hmm. it's very credible, uh, and make sure people don't have to suffer. And yeah, and your and your motivation, I think it's intriguing because you uh, actually created a tent, an EMF-free tent that's free right. from magnetic fields, electrical fields, and radio frequency fields, and you bring this tent around right. to different uh, 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 conventions, or not conventions, seminars, yeah. conferences, and you have it there, and it's, you create an oasis that people come into, because normally the problem with these conferences is they're typically in large hotels and you're bombarded with very large EMF fields, so you create this oasis-free thing, and you do it at your cost, you know, and you're not selling anything. No, my, my major role is an is a environmental health funder, so helping to fund people who are working in environmental health, and, mm -hmm. and uh, especially in EMF. I started out with toxic metals and mm -hmm. worked on uh, mercury. I was looking at different scanners, and, mm -hmm. but ended up helping with uh, working with NRDC to uh, some EPA policy stuff in the U.S. and funding a little bit for the International Mercury Treaty. But after this, the International Mercury Treaty, which I never imagined would have ever happened, mm -hmm. you know, governments are involved. I'm kind of a small player. I really said, you know, let's. I need to focus on something where I can have an impact, and so I really felt that EMF had not been, um, you know, made as credible as and and as uh, people need to become aware of it and need to be credible and solid. And so I put all my effort in that. Great. Yeah. And one of the people you funded was research was Dr. Herbert, right? We're still working together. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Oh so yeah. Why don't right. you dis discuss your history? Well, sure. I, mean, I still remember when you and I first met in person, we mm -hmm. took this great walk in, in the park at the northwest corner of, of San Francisco. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we went on that labyrinth. The labyrinth, yeah, yeah, exactly. And we were both at that time associated with Cure Autism Now, a exactly. foundation that was taken over in a somewhat hostile takeover by Autism right. Speaks. Exactly. Yeah. Autism Speaks, Speaks, the big. Yeah. Are they still around? The Autism Speaks is still around, right. Cure Autism Now. Okay, yeah. And um, that was a kind of a big turning point in that and field. what year was that? 2007. We, I think we talked on the phone in 2007, maybe it was later, 2008 I Actually, we met in 2009 and that had, had already yeah. happened, but you were still, you hadn't really, been, you weren't talking about EMF though, you were no. just talking about mercury No, I was metals. just talking about, I was talking about, I just want environmental factors in autism, and, and I was like, I don't, you and, know. And I'm sorry, yeah. but we'll, I, you definitely owe us an introduction. Uh, yeah, but, but I, I just, just want to go kind of back to why you're focusing on autism, because we didn't really mention that, but that so, really is yeah, a big passion. So my kid, I don't like talking about it a lot, because my kids yeah. are both grown up and at Berkeley, like the symptoms are all gone and they're recovered, but you know, those kids had a hard time with that. Okay. And I remember thinking, I don't know where autism and mercury are related, mm -hmm. but it doesn't hurt for us to start measuring mm -hmm. and managing mercury and toxic metals in kids. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at ways of doing non-invasive screening for toxic metals. Okay. And we were talking about all these, we were talking about these things. Okay. In, no, I'm still, still passionate, actually, yeah. I met, well, I met Peter actually at Bulletproof Conference almost two years ago now. No, a year ago. A year ago. It's about a year ago. Yeah. Uh, and we got, it was an interesting story. We, we were going to the dinner, Dave, Dave Asprey with the speakers, and um, we were, there was no transportation. You had to take an Uber. And, right. and I didn't even, I never met him. I've heard of him. And right. we just said, oh, you can come with us. We're going to dinner. So we did. We joined it. And they said, find out it was Peter Sullivan. We had I knew it was you. I mean, I knew, I knew who you were, obviously. So, <laughs> and I just, you know, it was a perfect yeah, you know, opportunity to talk. Really incredible serendipity. Yeah. So, Dr. Herbert. Yeah, sure. I mean, I have a lifelong passion about the environment. Uh, I owe it to my mother, who was a big Rachel Carson fan. Mm -hmm and grew up in the wetlands in outer Brooklyn mm -hmm. and had lifelong ire at the way that Robert Moses ripped the whole place up and was constantly talking to me about environmental desecration ever since I was mm -hmm. this high. And, um, and I, it became something of my own, not just because of her. And, um, and I was sensitive even, you know, in, in the early days of Earth Day that we really didn't have enough resources on the planet and, and a, lo a lot of the stuff that we were being taught in school didn't make any sense because it wasn't taking that into account. Um, I went to medical school in my 30s after I got my PhD. I got a PhD in history of consciousness at UC Santa Cruz, intellectual history, um, and uh, in a very beautiful environment mm -hmm. in the redwoods and um, in the ocean. and. I decided to go into pediatric 
<clears throat> neurology, I had done my dissertation on development and evolution. So I was very interested in, in development. And I remember friends of mine and the environmental side of things saying, what are you doing neurology for? That has nothing to do with the environment. <laughs> right, you know? Is it a shift? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I, I, I fell into working in autism because I inherited uh, MRI scans from the first MRI study that had been performed in autism where they started scanning in like 1989, still rapid. Oh, wow. And uh, found, it turned out after a whole lot of work, I found some, I was one of the first people, not the only one, to, to identify white matter abnormalities in autism through brain imaging, not through brain tissue. And that really violated the paradigm that behavior comes from the cortex in the sense that, you know, it, and it put me, I was already a kind of a whole body person and I figured out through, I was seeing patients and nobody had these rare, or maybe every now and then one of the rare neurogenetic diseases that, that you're trained in in, 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 neuro, in pediatric neurology, but everybody was coming in with diarrhea and eczema and you know, they couldn't sleep. And you know, it was almost like primary care in, in, in neuropsychiatry. And I, that's why I sort of edged my way into the whole body approach. Um, I had an epiphany in um, 1999 where in like within three, within three months, these pivotal events. First, there was, a, there was a major environmental influences on neurodevelopmental disorders conference held at the New York Medical Society that people, major figures that we know now like Michael Lerner and Ted Shetler and other people who are in the environmental health movement helped set up, but it was very, uh, and, and, and it was pivotal for me because I just, it, I had this gigantic epiphany that all this stuff that I was seeing in, the, in my patients mm -hmm. really could connect with environment. And um, I'll leave aside the two others because they're, they're, it's a whole other, that would be a different <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, and um, I started putting together and, and figuring out that there was a whole, that this was really a systems approach to these conditions. And at the same time as I was doing this, I was on the board of directors of a nonprofit called the Council for Responsible Genetics. That was the first nonprofit uh, watchdog group for, for genetic engineering. And I had stellar people. I mean, we had two Nobel Prize winners on the board. Linus Pauling. I actually, before I went to medical school in the mid '80s, mm -hmm. I was asked to be the first executive director mm -hmm. of the organization based on what I was doing where'd there. You, and where did you go to medical school? Columbia University. Columbia. And then you did your postgraduate training at Harvard. So I first I did pediatrics at Cornell, New York mm -hmm. Hospital, and then I went up to Mass General for the pediatric neurology. Okay. Um, and I stayed there. And why, why did you go and stay there? Well, because I got actually pulled out of the pile. Mm -hmm. I had applied, my father died in my last year of medical mm -hmm. school, and I was very distracted because extremely close to him. Mm -hmm. It was very... Traumatic. When yeah, it was traumatic, and I also inherited two farms. Mm -hmm. It was complicated. So, um, and I got pulled out of the pile because of 15 years of experience prior to medical school in systems biology and systems research. Okay, Going all the way back to my training with Gregory Bateson when I was a graduate student. And you know what systems biology is, but I would say 99% plus it. percentage of people watching this do not. So could you help us understand? So, you know, the, the simplest way of talking about it is that everything is a web mm -hmm. and things are connected and you tug one part of the web and the rest of the web changes. But in the standard ways of doing science, we pick out one thing and study its effect on one other thing. And that's how clinical research is designed. And that's what people are expected to do. They're expected to study the impact of one thing at a time on one other thing at a time. And isolating all the other variables. And, 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 and just, you know, and so that we have, we're looking for pure forms of diseases, but mostly in the conditions that we're talking about, it's a mess. It's like I call it sort of the mess disease. Everybody has a bunch of different things, some of which are more prominent than others. And when you take enough of a history, 
you find, like early on in my figuring out about autism as a systems problem, I was looking at, okay, so so-called specific language uh, problems or developmental language disorder. If you look at these people carefully, they have, they have coordination issues. They have uh, a whole variety of subtle versions of things that you see in a more fleshed out, bigger way in autism. So you see this, this subtle breakdown of the precision and fine-tuning of the brain. Uh, and I've come now, and I'm speaking now from a perspective that I wouldn't have said it this way 15 years ago, but I feel like what happens with the environment and its impact on the brain is that it, 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 it degrades the, the precision and the fine-tuning of the integration. It narrows our focus because we don't do long, we don't do long-range um, connections so well. Um, so now jumping back to things I'm thinking about now, I mean I just finally after looking for somebody to talk about it found a great article about how the, the networks that are described in the brain that are messed up in psychiatric illnesses, not just autistic, schizophrenia, depression, and so forth, the hubs of these networks have very high frequency, gamma frequency, gamma frequencies like 40 mm -hmm. or, or higher, and it turns out that this gamma frequency is driven by cells that are very high energy demand, mitochondrial centered cells. In the brain. In the brain. Mm -hmm. So what we're having now is after years of all these people studying these networks with no connection to metabolism, we have studies, enough studies showing that actually the met metabolic stuff going on in the brain maps onto the networks going on in the brain. And the proportion of network disturbance is, in, in some of these cases has been shown to be proportional to the amount of mitochondrial dysfunction. So my passion for the last six, eight, ten years, as I've gotten into the system stuff, is to look, because I, I developed a brain, I have a brain research program at Mass General called Transcend, Treatment Research and Neuroscience Evaluation of Neurodevelopmental Disorders. We had MRI, MEG, and EEG. Um, and what's an MEG? An MEG is like an EEG, but it's a magnetoencephalogram, so it measures the magnetic activity of the, of the brain. Now the EEG measures the electrical, and when you have electrical activity, the magnetic is at 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. So they measure the same thing, but in somewhat different ways. So um, what I'd be, I, so, and I, and I did a research study on, my hypothesis was that autism is not something you're born with, it's something that you develop. And in order to, 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 to study that, I started studying babies from the time they were in their mother's womb. So we studied, got biosamples from the mothers. We got biosamples at birth. And then until the mothers stopped nursing, we were getting biosamples from them. And then biosamples plus EEG plus autonomic, we could only get electrodermal, the sympathetic at that time, um, using wristbands. And to see how things deteriorated in the kids who developed autism. At this point, what we found is something that could be interpreted in a variety of ways. We're working on a publishing this, that the, um, we have EEG data at two-week-old babies predicting their outcome at 30 months. Mm -hmm. Now, I just finished saying that I think that autism is something you develop, and that would sound like something you're born with, but you can't say that they have autism. So the way I think about it is that the brains are really excited and irritated, and so it matters very much what happens. So they're more predisposed. Right? They're more predisposed, and they're also... And you can predict it, identify these. Individuals. So then, if you can predict that early, mm -hmm. then you would want to do something about it, which leads to a small number of primary care pediatricians doing whole body approaches to children with autism, the parents and pregnant mothers in those families, showing that when they initiate a whole body lifestyle modification, wellness promotion, avoidance of toxins, avoidance of allergens, just about none of the babies are born 
that are born developed autism. There's only been one paper published on this, and I am yanking the chain of somebody who has data on this so I can get the revisions to the statistician. Mm -hmm. So my feeling is what we need is a public health intervention where people are taught how to keep their keep healthy from preconception to pregnancy to infancy and that when these babies are born and if they get this EEG and it says that their brains are irritable, you, you don't want to do a drug. I have disagreement with some of my colleagues about this. You want to do safe and healthy things because that's the problem. From our point of view, that's the problem in the first place. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, and that leads to, you know, Peter and I are working now on setting up a database online for um, capturing, because Peter has a Facebook group mm -hmm. for families of children with autism mm -hmm. who want to learn about Wi-Fi because there's right. a lot of anecdotal stories, right. uh, anecdata, I learned that word yesterday, exactly. that um, from Bob Dennis, yeah. um, that, um, that when you reduce the Wi-Fi, the symptoms abate a lot. And I know a woman who, kid was stimming like crazy and she, he liked to stim by the dishwasher. So guess what? There was dirty electricity in this dishwasher. They fixed it and he stopped that and a lot of the symptoms remitted. Yeah. So, I mean, so we want to capture, people have been doing this, but we want to give them a place to aggregate the data so that we can say, look at all these people. And also Dietrich Klinghart did a study measuring a long time ago, but, but it has to be followed up, yeah. where babies, where mothers of babies who became autistic compared to mothers of babies who didn't, measuring the, the EMF and the dirty electricity in the sleeping room of the mother was like, what, eight times higher? It, well, actually it wasn't dirty electricity, it was electric fields and, and microwave. Or okay, but it was substantially higher. It was dramatically higher. Yeah. And that's never been followed up. So what we're trying to do is set up enough of an infrastructure that we can follow that up in a systematic way and actually have real data. That's great. Yeah. So I'm, I'm intrigued with the screening mechanisms you developed to identify the infants that would be at risk. And then, so if you can do that, answer that question, I have a follow-up question. Yeah, well, you know, right now, since we didn't publish it, I can't really give you the exact details, okay. but, uh, but I can well, say the generic yeah. level yeah that it, it, it's, I would interpret it as a measure of brain irritability. Okay. And that the measures and, and that we're using are really basic. To, so it's a to simple screen. It's really basic, yeah. Okay. Simple screen. Need some math, but you can set up an algorithm. You know. Okay, right. well good. So, and, so you say you've identified this subgroup of infants who were recently born and then you're going to implement an intervention. I'm, what, and both of you are so good at this because you've been in the field for a long time and you're speaking to, to the, the, par the parents of autism frequently. And I'm wondering if you could um, quantitate or uh, rank order the risk of factors that can contribute to this. Hmm. And the three big ones that most people talk about, and I've heard you talk about, Peter, are the vaccines, glyphosate, and EMF. Yeah, and I, I wonder. I, I would say that or my maybe, personal experience yeah. would be that the EMF and, and the glyphosate might be more than the, a lot of people talk about the vaccines. Yeah. I, I, I think that the EMF is going to be bigger, but we don't we don't have data yet. Yeah. You know, I, I would yeah. add honestly, I would add food. I mean, people are right. eating all this sugar. They're eating all this right. crappy food. So they're it, eating allergens, and, and just simply reducing allergens in the mother's diet from preconception to pregnancy is a really big deal. Well, there's two components of food. One is the metabolic, where you're yeah, yeah, causing insulin resistance and mitochondrial right. dysfunction, and the, the other is the allergenic. And the immune, yeah. And the immune, so. Because the immune, you, if that immune stuff is going on and the baby's brain is developing, you're biasing the brain toward a more irritated state. I call it being closer to the edge of the cliff. You, we okay. want to pull these people away from the edge of the cliff. So would you agree with Peter's assessment that uh, EMF and glyphosate exceed the toxicity of vaccines and, and would rank order them higher than, higher than vaccines in, in the intervention? I mean, ideally, I mean, well, give us your You know, time. I mean, I'm the way I'm, the, I don't, you know, for me, I'm, I'm working on this other project called Documenting Hope, and we're of, and Patty Limmer is, is, she's written Outsmarting Autism, and she has mm -hmm. a new version coming out, right. new edition. We talk about total load, mm -hmm. exactly. and it's really Dorks. about 
Doris Rapp talked about it all. Yeah, well, but, well, I'm a total old girl, and I think you're a total old guy. Well, I, I well mean, no, I was very Mercury only, yeah. and you, you <laughs> convinced I, me. Undermined her. No, she, she's she's like mentally like a ninja. She just basically said like you can't, you know, got me into total load. I, I influenced you on EMF. Oh right? well, he's and the so, one who got me into EMF. Yeah. So yeah. So we we influence each other. I'm actually I I yeah. had a friend who got me. Did a seminar on this in 2002. Yeah. She was the editor of Wild Duck Review yeah. mm -hmm. years ago, and I've written, I've done something in 1999 with her. <clears throat> um, by the way, I should say the reason <clears throat> I allowed myself finally to get talked into writing this autism oh, and EMF paper, yeah. paper was when we talk about metabolism and the brain or immune and the brain, <clears throat> it's kind of indirect in the sense that somehow the metabolic and immune changes change. <clears throat> the way the brain operates and the brain and it's so it's going to have to change your electromagnetic activity because that's what the brain does but emf is in the same language as brain waves it's it's waves it's oscillations <clears throat> yeah. it's screwy oscillations compared well, to biological the ones frequencies are quite different typically I no mean, well, well that's the point yeah. that's the, the point but it's still in the same <clears throat> kind of biophysical sure. level Domain. yeah yeah <clears throat> and i just thought I mean, I care about EMF, but I was actually interested in figuring out whether, whether by learning about this, I would get a better understanding of how the brain waves are getting changed mm -hmm. in, in neurodevelopmental and neuropsychiatric disorders. Because, you know, how environment impacts brain waves. Okay, so in an ideal world, we would have this screen that's done routinely and you've done the yeah, due diligence, every, it's published, every, it's accepted, it's conventional medicine, every along time. Along with the baby hearing screen, you get this screen. Right. So that it's, it's just it's like already, yeah. in, 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 the, in the well baby nursery or the wherever. Right. That's an ideal world. But we know that's not happening next year, certainly, and probably may never happen. Well, it'll right. probably but, happen, but not but, quite for, you know. Yeah, for quite some time. So, but say we had this. It, in some ways, it almost doesn't matter because the change. I mean, everyone needs these changes. That's because exactly it's, right. That's, that's the right. whole that, point. It's a, it's a right. mood issue. Right. I mean, I mean, not, it's, it's almost, not just autism. It's everybody. Right. And, and all the, the so in the documenting whole project that that we're just getting close to launching. Yeah. We finished up the second IRB. And IRB we're saying IRB is a human subjects ethics approval thing. Right. That you have to get to do. Yeah, that. I know. Yeah. So thanks for always asking me, but I'm always ready to explain. Okay. Um, and um, so we're finishing that up, and basically we're looking at all chronic pediatric. There's an epidemic of all pediatric chronic illnesses, major right. ones, not the ones where we know some kind of very very specific genetic mm -hmm. error or problem. Mm -hmm. Um, but all of these things are crazy high. One out of two children having some kind of a chronic disease diagnosis in the United States. That's ridiculous. That's the stats today. Yeah. So for me, I decided a number of years ago that you can't understand autism without putting it in a broader context because there are more commonalities <clears throat> than differences across the chronic illnesses. And what would some of those other chronic diseases be? Oh, you know, asthma, obesity, depression. Okay. Uh, you know, fibromyalgia. Yeah, well, but I'm not so much in kids, but oh, so we kids. In I'm kids. Sorry. This isn't yeah. kids. I'm sorry. You know, um, even the idiopath, the, the kind of juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, yes. idiopathic arthritis, and and what we're saying is that families are becoming their own case managers and getting these kids totally better. So we want to study how these people get better and what that's about. And we've never been a prospective study of recovery before. And a definite part of this is going to be inspecting the home, building biologists going in, looking for the EMF, looking for all the toxic products under the sink, all the stuff. And we have a we have already launched a an environment you can enroll parents can enroll now um, the CHIRP study, the Children's Health Inventory for Resilience and Prevention. And you get a very detailed report of your child's history that you can take to your practitioner for participating. And how does someone enroll in that study? I'm sorry? How does someone enroll in that study? They can go to the Documenting Hope website or look up CHIRP and, and there's an enrollment place on the web. So DocumentingHope.com? DocumentingHope.com. Okay. Yes, and we also have a really cool trailer about the, about the film that's okay. going to be coming along with the study.
And when was the film? When will the film? The be film out? is going to be. We actually started out planning to make a movie, and social media has changed so much that we may dribble it out over oh, time. Right. We probably will, mm -hmm. but we will be starting to do that in the next calendar year. Okay, good. 2019. All right, good. When you compile the whole thing, maybe we can run on the site too. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'd be fabulous. So even if we start dribbling, you can have a link sure. to that. Yeah, that'd be great. But anyway, just we were talking about total load, and I think, you know, you can have, like, there are like thousands, tens of thousands of things that injure your mitochondria, and there aren't, as, there aren't 10,000 different ways to injure mitochondria. So they, it all piles up, so all these little seemingly innocuous exposures add to the pile, and so they all matter. So I go around, I wrote this book, Autism Revolution, whole body strategies for making life all it can be. And at that time, I started going around and saying, make every health choice a healthy choice. Mm -hmm. and, and I would say you would say the same thing, you know. Yeah, and I, we just did a booklet at autism, last couple autism conferences, we did a booklet called Autism, uh, Simplifying Autism uh, Recovery, uh, Improvement in Recovery, mm -hmm. and another talk called, that you saw, uh, Simplifying Autism, Removing Barriers. And we kind of, so we have this little booklet, we've got these talks are all online. And, we, I come up with a list of suspects, but my real goal is, you know, in the next, I think in the short term, in the next year or so, if parents just start looking at this list of suspects, and I don't want to be too attached to the order or the sequence, because they're kind of be different for different people. And it depends on also their own circumstances, their own, what's accessible to them to do. Right, so some people, so I just think I want to move the conversation away from what doesn't cause autism, and to have people start talking about what are the, what are the environmental suspects and what can I do? And I've, a lot of doctors I've talked to also say just anything that anything that is a health risk, like uh, you know premature birth and low oxygen levels, a range of options, even pollution, air pollution, is an aut is a autism risk factor. So anything that can impact your health can re uh, increase your risk for autism. And I think the one we're also concerned about for for dads because it's usually not. Oh, this is yeah, this is a big one. We've talked about this, um, which is cell phone in the pocket for dads. We really we think de, no, de novo is a big issue. Yeah, in, de novo, in you know about de novo mutations is they found out that wait, a wait, lot. Wait, wait, okay, yeah. this is I want to be done. But this is I'm, I'm, I'm just, what is a de novo mutation? Yes, yeah, I'm going to say okay. de novo mutation is the kid has a mutation that neither parent had. De novo means new. Novo is new. Right. So the kid has this mutation, and and other geneticists, oh, it just happens. Well, of course, yeah. yeah. And oh, yeah. environment doesn't have any. I swear they all said this. No. I, you know, or age of the dad, the older dad. They were always Which saying, is, is it genes or environment? I wrote a paper in 2007, autism and environmental genomics. It's both, you know. But yeah. and so then people were saying, well, it could be environment, but 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 well, the cell phone mutates the genes. Right, exactly. And also, I think and we know the mechanism. We know the mechanism. We've talked oh, yeah. about. So we got to get the cell phones out of the pocket for guys. We have to get the well, whole thing. Well, they stay in the pocket, but it's got to be an airplane motor off. Exactly. Well, yeah, they shouldn't exactly. even have it in their pocket. They should yeah. figure something else out. Right. Yeah. I, and I, because if it isn't, I mean, they can mutate the genes, then they get testicular cancer. So it's neither one of them is very good. But I think one of the things you know you've talked about is the shift for you is people think autism is something bad that happened in the past, whether it's genetic or some sort of damage. And you've got me thinking that autism is a state of overload. And then we need to start undoing the loads. Right. And so just start unloading, you know, getting rid of the risk factors for the men, so the genetic risk factor before birth, but then for the whole family, lightening that total load. Mm -hmm. And and we, we did learn from that Stanford twin study that everyone assumed autism was 100%. Some people still assume autism 100% genetics, which is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, it's laughable. Um, the Stanford twin study showed, on average, looking at identical twins, some identical twins, one has autism, one does not. So they did all the stats, that proves it, did all the stats that it's 38% genetic contribution and 62% environmental. So we should be, we could be really dialing down autism right now by dialing down these environmental factors and not just one of them, but a range. We were saying if there's one, we were laughing, if there was one, um, one thing that was really broken, it's really the regulation, mm -hmm. the lack of real actual safety regulation. Yeah. So, Dr. Herbert, you had mentioned that there's thousands of variables that contribute to mitochondrial dysfunction. Would you 
uh, assert that mitochondrial dysfunction is a major contributing factor for autism? I think it's a major contributing factor for to, to everything yeah. right now. So every major disease, and even if it is not, if, if it's a very specific genetic, genetically determined disease, it still doesn't help if you have mitochondrial dysfunction yeah. on top of it. You're going to die prematurely, right. and, and it's going to make everything worse. Suffer painlessly and and have complications. Yeah. Right. So what would you list as the f top five or top ten? Not necessarily rank order, but things that need to be considered. Well, I mean, toxic exposures and EMF and the inadequate antioxidants in your diet. Um, and Not necessarily supplements. No, not necessarily. No, you need, you need multicolored foods. You need a rainbow. You yeah. need all so phytochemicals from the foods. The good, you, and to not have, and, and to have food that's been even, even if it looks like it's the right kind, but if it's been raised in a mineral poor, uh, if it didn't have the opportunity to generate all of these chemicals that are good for us. Not growing good soil. Exactly. So those are things, I mean, um, food, what I said in my books is a food toxins, uh, bugs, and stress. You know, those, all of those things eat away. They cre create demands on your system. And you need the antioxidants, you need the good fats. To, to, to handle all these things. And when the demand gets ahead of the, the supply and the supports, the supports, the suppressors get higher than the supports. You're in trouble. So you want to get the supports up and the stressors down. Okay, so right. let's get practical now because you've been, both been doing this for quite some time. Okay. And you're in the trenches, you see people that struggle with this every day, and you're out there lecturing. So I'm wondering if you could describe the most common confusions that you see, or the steps that people aren't taking and they should be? Uh, I'll, I'll say, um, people assume that it's a problem with the child, and they jump in and start treating the child, and they assume it's genetic, whatever, mm -hmm. and they're doing behavioral therapy. Um, that I would recommend, the things, I, the things that I would do again, and for myself, mm -hmm. if I could do it all again, mm -hmm. is I would start with the environment, and I would start with EMF, especially at night. So mm -hmm. we'd turn off a baby monitor, cordless phone, base station, uh, Wi-Fi, and even sometimes circuit breaker for the bedroom. Just give yourself an experience. And are these baby monitors becoming more pervasive? Well, they're becoming a little bit worse because they're not just sound baby monitors now, but they're adding video, so that's more bandwidth. And now they're adding artificial intelligence on top of that. Right. Some of them, well, some of them are weird now because they're, they're um, uh, voice sensitive. Yeah. So they don't, they don't admit, some of them are constantly admitting you know, wireless radiation, and then some only admit after the child makes noise, which is almost like negative reinforcement for speaking, if you think about it. But is it possible to have a safe uh, wire, a, a baby monitor? Can you have a wired baby monitor? A, a wired baby monitor is safe. There is an older baby monitor, I can't remember the exact brand now, that is, um, that it's, it's not just all wireless, it's the digital wireless pulses. Mm -hmm. You know, the old analog signals that were like radio, mm -hmm. AM, FM radio, are, bi are biologically less active than these digital pulses, which started shifting kind of in the mid-80s mid for the phones and the baby monitors. So you know, and people, it, it's, you keep saying, failure to implement, you know, yeah. turning off your wife. It's, it's a term that I use when I, at these events. I accuse the people, the, the physicians typically at the conference, you know, we have these lunches, and I see them eating crap, and knowing they, I, they absolutely know better, but they choose not to implement. You know, I say, you're guilty of FTI, failure to implement. Right. Yeah, and people, of course, meanwhile, they just barely got here and caught their plane, and they, right. but I mean, but, but, but they know but, they're going to be there, you know, it's not, like, right. it's not a mystery, right. you're going to have to eat when you land. Right. But, but, and then, but just to turn the, the router off at night, to have, I mean, I tell people, you know, we want to make it simple, so I tell people, I have a friend who lives in a one-bedroom apartment, and all her stuff is in her bedroom, like, to, to plug everything into a strip, put the strip in the woman, you go to bed, just pull out this one thing, yeah. and then pull it back in the morning, it's not hard. Or yeah. put it on that, a timer. Yeah. Either way, whatever it is, well, you so have the, to make it easy for Yeah, but the yeah. time works well for the router because typically it's not in the bedroom. Thank, hopefully it's yeah, not in the bedroom. Yeah, there are a lot. I've seen it happen a lot. But I would yeah. say, too, if, if it's a state of overload, not just for the kids, but the entire family. Mm -hmm. And so these people are just, they're, they're overloaded and overwhelmed. And so I just say, like, it's, it, it's, it's just almost like uh, cleaning up the house, you know, that whole, uh, the magic of tidying up the house. Mm -hmm. there's, yeah. there's a million things you need to do. The key is in the sequence do the easiest things that get you the most impact, and that's why I would start with EMF, because once you reduce that, you start sleeping better, then you start to have more capacity. So you want to build a spiral of capacity so that's as you right. start an upward spiral. I think that's really, and, 
And there is an electron. I would totally concur. You really have to buy 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 your life bandwidth. And you this have, is exactly. You give yourself more capacity so that you have the capacity to implement. I know a lot of people. A lot of people have good intentions. A lot of people don't. But a lot of people do have good intentions, but they are just so overwhelmed they, they lack the capacity. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, no, if you're and I, you see it all over the place now. And that, then you that, know that's, what? That's valuable information. Yeah, yeah. really, that's a, really. That's is. a really good pearl to do the. the that happened simplest. to me. I mean, it's like I know. Yeah, and you're in my speaking brain. personal experience. No, and especially when you have mitochondria. If your mitochondria is wet, you literally don't have the energy to do this. The physical and change. I was telling tell a friend, change takes energy. You literally, and you've got these old wires, and you need to rewire things. Change takes time, energy, and resources. And so anytime you have to change, it's an investment in your physical energy and real estate and resources. So change takes energy and you need to kind of step in a sequence. You have to have an energy surplus. You but you know, exactly, exactly, exactly. You have to have, look, it's they, the genetic kind of people say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but the bottom line is if the kid is having problems upstairs, the parents are probably overwhelmed and sometimes it's hard to figure out complicated things. Exactly. And some of the practitioners who give parents on the first visit a list of 45 things to do, none of them get done. I never see them. The and well, they may see them, right. but it's like six months later and nothing happened. Yeah. So, the, so we the don't want to simple, overwhelm them. It's like simple in the beginning, just to get enough change that you feel the change and you're, you would have an investment in seeing more change. Return on investment for your time and energy. Yeah, and I, I would add to this, and I'd like your feedback on it, because one of the the first steps I would demand of anyone seeing me as a physician would be to commit to removing soda and sugar from their diet. Oh, right. You know, which is a simple thing to do and it has a magnificent metabolic right. return. And I would put that probably on the same level as EMF, maybe even easier than, than EMF. Maybe not easier well, psychologically, yeah. but certainly easier so, from pragmatic environment. I know where you're going. We've had a lot of parents talk about, you know, getting rid of screen time. There's, there's yeah. all these elements. Yeah. What I advise, which I think is, this is my experience, is mm -hmm. that people get these addictions because it's not just not changing but there's addiction elements mm -hmm. going on to screen time and to sugar and to foods mm -hmm. and what I say is get the, if the EMF reduces at night and you start you start everyone starts sleeping so you better. you would put that above sugar? I would. Yeah okay. and because it's at night and you don't have to fight with anybody who's addicted because okay. they're all exactly. sleeping they're right. all sleeping when the when the intervention You don't have to touch the child you're just going and pulling off so they don't even know what's going on yeah. now they're sleeping better now they have more capacity to change and to deal with that's these, point. That, that's my advice, because I think some people say, let's go in and do screen time first. I'm like, no, do, that can get really contentious, it can be power control and everyone's fighting. Get, get everybody sleeping and kind of decompressed a little bit and then just, the, you know, there gets to be more space. It's very valuable advice because it's very simple, it's, but it's, it's so it's, profound. It's very profound. Yeah. I, I, I mean, because we all, these families, we all fight. Like my wife and I used to fight over the food stuff. Mm -hmm. I, one of the reasons I ended up doing a lot of EMF is that I wanted to do food interventions and my wife was resistant to it and so I got kind of boxed out a little bit there. My kids were resistant to it so I, once I figured this out I was like, oh I could help them, help them without even touching them, they didn't even know what's going on and so it served me a little bit in that way. Yeah, and what was your, just curious, like what was your experience in doing, when you implemented that strategy, did they, they acknowledge improving and you didn't tell them they were, you were implementing the change? Uh, they could see me doing stuff and then my wife would always complain when I would turn the power off. I would be playing with certain breakers and my wife, why'd you turn the internet off and so on. So, so we, you know, still here and there fight about it a little bit. But things have lightened up so much. I mean, we were all really intense and a lot of families with autism end up getting divorced and also bankrupt. It's an overwhelming situation. Mm -hmm. And it's just so, getting worse. And it's getting worse and worse. And so uh, I think that's it's a big impact on your psychology and your, I mean, the Martin Paul's paper on neuropsychiatric effects from microwaves and EMF. It's a big factor. And, and sleep, of course, sleep and inflammation are fundamental to good mental health. So anytime you can improve there, and if this is just, I, I like this whole concept, that especially if you put all these things on a timer or something and have it done automatically, you've got a one-time intervention that has long-lasting implications. It's like doing one push-up and being healthy. And then I would be very curious with your perspective on the next step, which is uh, the ideal, which is to make the transition to wired. It, right. it, obviously, more complex and costly right. it, uh, action and investment. And how would you sequence that in stage? You know, we're just coming up with, we're doing this database, and I'm coming up with these little protocols and mm -hmm. stuff. So we're coming up with, um, it kind of it depends, because you kind of have to measure. It's just like with, with okay. biology. 
So I think step one is, so, so step one is you do this shotgun technique where we just talked about you turn off these things and then you get some route, you might get some feedback that this is working good and you want to go to the next step. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at a couple of different meters that we're recommending. They're on our website, clearlightventures.com. You'll see EMF meters. And then we have some simple instructions and little ways of logging the data and then soon we'll be putting in the database. But um, when do you anticipate it, the database to be? Two months. Hopefully, yeah. Have to, we, have to, we have to do another one of those. Good, because yeah. our, our backlog for getting these interviews up would probably it's probably about four or five months. So, so we can okay. we'll that probably you, be, be up when. Okay. We could get you an addendum to put in writing. Sure. Yeah, but um, yeah, and it kind of it depends on what's high. So we put it on this little radar graph of like what it's in, and you know, if magnetic fields are the highest, then I'm going to have little instructions on here's what to do next. It's kind of a hybrid between what building biologists generally do and what some audio folks do uh, or grounding experts like mm -hmm. Alan Mark, mm -hmm. and my own experience. And, and it'll be kind of a living document and we'll debate it and there'll be different things for different people and hopefully there'll be choices. Um, but I'll, I'll try to give people a range of choices and you know, make it as simple and as cheap and as easy as we can, as we can make okay. it. This is available on your site. We're moving in that direction. So it's uh, the EMF and autism group will probably be the first place where we start to share it and we'll start public. The, the we'll, meter we'll instructions. We'll beta test it with them. Yeah, we'll beta test it with a smaller group. The, meet the, meter in the meters and the meter instructions are there now. Hmm. The mitigation instructions I'm working on right now. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Valuable resources, so many people. Yeah. That's wonderful. So, any other strategies or recommendations that you'd like to add to these? What Excellent the, ones. I mean, yeah. I, one of, with, Based the on food, your experience. with the food, one thing that's helpful with kids, and even with anybody, is to, if a kid who may not want to eat certain things, who is difficult in whatever way, they may, you may buy a bunch of fruits and vegetables of all different colors, and let them play with them and make a mess and do all the stuff, and then they develop tactile and visual familiarity before you force them to ingest it. You, you, need, you need to kind of make play. things play. Fun. I and think play. And, and what age does this occur? Because oh, I've, I've read some uh, reports or studies where that speculate that when you give a child, and I forget the age because it's been a while since I've read them, that if they if expose them a certain number of times, seven, eight, ten, twelve, I don't know what the magic number is, that and it may be objectionable initially, but after continual re-exposure, they become accustomed to it and actually enjoy it. And, it, and that uh, preference actually remains lifelong. Has that been your experience? or what, well, what's your you what's know, your it's funny because you're saying that and it triggers this other thing going on. Um, I think that you know, people, I mean, I know families where they've never had sugar in the house and mm -hmm. kids are just used to having all these foods, it's not an issue. Mm -hmm. If you have somebody who has all of the tactile and sensory issues in, on, toward and into mm -hmm. the autism spectrum, it's a little bit more complicated. Um, so, but, but I think keeping it light, and I think the other thing is that it works best if the whole family makes a commitment and sure. not just isolating one or two individuals. I think the one thing that's coming to mind that would be is, is you add you, you you talk about all these different factors and it makes parents feel overwhelmed. So right. the thing I talk about in my simplifying talk is that um, going back to your genetic study, you looked at all the genes in autism in 2014 and the, the MAP-K energy signaling came up, but the number one cluster was calcium channel, right. which had come down and Martin which Paul's is, which is about interesting. That. So I try to talk about, so to try to simplify this for parents, I try to think about autism as um, you know, an overload of the calcium channels, too much calcium getting in. Calcium channels uh, excite the cell and make it more likely to fire. So I think of it like a tuning, a tuning peg on a guitar, making it a little more high strung. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like, to me, it's like an overload of excitotoxins. And, and uh, EMF is one, but glyphosate also you know, raises intracellular calcium. Uh, even caffeine, of course, are multiple factors, that, that, multiple things that dial those up and down. But if you can think of autism as a, um, a state of, of overexcitation, an overload of excitation, or, or excited toxicity, that might help simplify it. So anything that's kind of calming, anything, that's ex anything that the parents discover that's exciting for the child and gets the child kind of overriled up, put that on the list and kind of dial it down. Yeah. You know, Peter, listening to you say that, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you went into 
a really calm space, and I felt almost like we were in the in the, the no in, this, in the zone because it was just so calming to 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 make it to feel how much work you put into right. and thought you put into making it simple for people. Because honestly, right. if the kid, if if in a family, if there's excitation, if the, if it's dialed up right. too much, everybody's going to be more or less dialed up, and so you must come up with these Calming calmer strategies, strategies and come in in a way. That doesn't trigger because socio-emotional stressors trigger that kind of dialing up too. Oh, there's a whole stack of those things, all these physical things, and then yeah, the social emotion. A lot of Annie Hopper's work on the limbic system and the body yeah, getting. Annie Hopper is a person I'm also interviewing. Yeah, here, who's, yeah. Whose uh, interview will be done after this one? I think I'm interviewing her in a few months. Uh, but I met her in your tent in Dallas at the res uh, uh, rescue uh, generation rescue, rescue autism event. Exactly. So. Powerful tool uh, that she has in restructuring the, the limbic system that gets damaged in these, and re actually rewiring the brain to a healthy bed. You know, there's this old German term called Zeitgeber. Zeit is time, mm -hmm. and Geber is giver, and it has to do with the things in our daily lives that give us a kind of a reliable rhythm every day. One of them is going to bed and waking up at the same time. Mm -hmm. One of them is having regular times to eat certain things like that where your body isn't kind of being jolted around right. each day. Right. And that's something that a lot of people don't have and it's another thing that you can, even if you just have people to set it as an intention, to set it as an intention that that's the way we're going to move in the direction of right. having more regularity. There's something, again, calming about it that, that that's, we, we need to find the part of ourselves that's capable of being calm, I think the way the consumer society works is it keeps us revved up so that we're just very vulnerable to advertising yeah. and buying all kinds of well, stuff. Literally, like when the, the calcium channels excite, there's more likelihood of fire. And it's so many times I've gone into a store just all jacked up, you know, overexcited, and I just buy too much. And I come home and why did I buy the stuff? My brain was overexcited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So. Well, I want to thank you both for your massive contributions to, and work in this area and for all the work you're going to be doing <laughs> and, and, you know, and the benefit that you're providing to so many people. So can you give the name of your website again? Uh, clearlightventures.com. Clearlightventures.com. And I, I have Higher Synthesis, Higher Synthesis Health and Higher Synthesis Foundation. Okay, dot com? Yes. Okay, correct. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing everything compiled and your recommendation list. It'll be great. And thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you very much. Thanks.